GM, everybody. Welcome to Lex Line, brought to you in conjunction with our friends at Rug Radio, where we talk about the new and latest developments in Web3, blockchain, and crypto law. Nothing we talk about should be considered legal or financial advice. If you have a specific legal question, you should consult a lawyer. You should do it privately, not on a recorded Twitter space. We are live. We're recording this. If you miss it today, you can always join us later on Apple and Spotify podcast. Today's conversation, I want to jump into Coinbase's motion to dismiss, long-awaited motion to dismiss, and it's a great read, to say the least. Excellently, (laughs) excellently, is that a word, Johnny? Excellently, excellently written, Uh, really concise, amazing legal analysis, gets right to the point. Uh, really, really enjoyed reading it. I pinned up a blog post summarizing it uh, after my first really, really quick cursory review of it. Also pinned up Paul Graywall's post about the filing. Uh, kudos to Paul and the legal team at Coinbase. Uh, I'm, I'm very impressed with how they were able to execute this within the page limits and make a very strong argument. So kind of wanted to open up with maybe breaking it down a little bit, talking about the key points. Um, I think it's worth at the start, quite frankly, reading the introduction uh, to the argument uh, verbatim because it is just so well written and so powerful. So preliminary statement. This is going to be direct read, so bear with me, but I think it's a good jumping point and then we can talk about the pieces of it. And of course, I welcome anyone in the house who wants to come up and talk about this as well. So jumping into it, preliminary statement from Coinbase's motion. Two years ago, recognizing that the SEC waited but lacked, or I'm sorry, strike that, restart. Two years ago, recognizing that the SEC wanted but lacked statutory power to regulate crypto exchanges, Chair Gary Gensler asked Congress for a legislative mandate. None came. Now, without any intervening legislative act, the commission accuses Coinbase, the largest U.S. crypto exchange, of having defied the federal securities laws in failing to register as a securities exchange, broker, and clearing agency since 2019. No matter that the SEC allowed Coinbase to go public in 2021 with the same business it operates now. No matter that Congress has for years been actively considering and just last week advancing legislation to grant and allocate, among other regulatory agencies, the very authority the SEC now claims for itself. The SEC wanted to get the jump. In making that jump, the SEC has violated due process, abused its discretion, and abandoned its own earlier interpretations of the securities laws. But there is a more fundamental problem with its case. One, the chair recognized two years ago, and that entitles Coinbase to judgment on the pleadings now. The subject matter falls outside the agency's delegated authority. The SEC may pursue this enforcement action only if relevant transactions in the digital assets and services identified in the complaint are, quote, investment contracts, end quote and therefore, quote, securities, end quote, under the Securities Act of 1933. Because as a matter of law, none of them are, 
the claims must be dismissed. So essentially what Coinbase is saying here is that the SEC has failed to plea in an effective way that the 12, I believe it's 12 currencies at issue in this case, were in fact investment contracts in the way that they were offered on the SEC's, or I should say on Coinbase's platform. So that introductory paragraph sets the table for what I think is going to be the legal battle going forward. Just a a look back to anyone who's tuning in and doesn't know the full saga, the SEC filed suit against Coinbase, alleging that it breached federal securities laws by failing to register as a securities exchange, broker, and clearing agency. The SEC's complaint essentially is despite the fact that they did go public in 2021, as is noted in that introductory paragraph, Coinbase has pushed back, basically alleging that the lack of explicit legislative mandate to empower the SEC to regulate crypto exchanges in this manner is pretty much an overreach by the SEC in a vacuum of legislative guidance. Well, today they dropped their brief. They dropped their brief under Federal Rule of Procedure civil procedure, 12C, basically saying that if you take everything that's been filed to this point, look at it all, there's no factual matter that should pursue any further in this case or proceed any further in this case, and the court should enter a dismissal right now. So what are the major things we can pull out? The key arguments, absence of a securities transaction. Coinbase makes it very clear in their motion that the SEC's claims rely heavily on an argument that trades over Coinbase's uh, platform of those 12 tokens identified in the complaint were investment contracts. They have to be investment contracts in order to make the definition of a security. And this is where Coinbase does a very effective job of arguing that it's a non-starter because the SEC has failed to plea in its complaint that these are in fact investment contracts. They argue that these investments do not involve contractual undertakings to deliver future value reflecting the income, profits, or assets of a business. Instead, they are framed as commodity sales. And one of the brilliant things that's brought up in here that I love is the analogy to baseball. For example, and this is directly out of the complaint, one can invest in a baseball or other trading card company through an instrument that imposes obligations on the company. And that will be a security. Or one can buy baseball cards on the open market, hoping they appreciate in value, and one will have bought a commodity. That remains true even if the company makes representations about plans to create a premier card trading platform to drive up the value of the cards it sells, Those representations can't turn baseball cards into securities. We've all talked about this several times on many spaces. Baseball cards are not shares in the baseball card enterprise. And they cite Howie for that closing sentence. So that is an interesting way to illustrate what's been argued up and down and in many different ways that these tokens are not investment contracts and the way that they're being sold does not create a contractual relationship. So second major point to pull out of the complaint uh, response that Coinbase has filed in their motion to dismiss is the absence of contractual undertaking beyond the point of sale. 
Essentially, what Coinbase is saying is that the SEC's complaint fails to allege any contractual undertaking to deliver future value beyond the point of the sale, thereby not making it an investment contract. So if you don't have an investment contract, you don't have a security. Wonderful the way they wrote this. Wonderful the way they're taking down very methodically what the SEC has been trying to push as their narrative with respect to the investment contract nature of digital assets. Third major point, failure to confer contractual rights to future value. Coinbase makes it clear the SEC's complaint does not allege the purchasers of tokens on Coinbase or through their platform prime had any contractual right to future value. Given the definition of an investment contract, which we just talked about, the omission in the SEC's claims is presented as a significant shortcoming. Coinbase's, and, and there's a quote here, Coinbase through its prime service allows institutional customers to execute at scale trades of approved assets over the Coinbase spot exchange and other secondary spot exchanges. So that explains what prime is for those who don't know. So essentially, thousand foot view, the SEC has misread the Howey test in asserting that a scheme without a contractual undertaking will not equal an investment contract. Because one of the key things that Coinbase very masterfully does in this is not only do they argue that nothing has been alleged to meet the definition in Howey of an investment contract, they then say that the SEC is trying to now eliminate contract from the discussion altogether and fall back on the notion that a scheme alone without a contractual agreement is enough to justify their regulatory enforcement action. And Coinbase does a great job in their motion to distinguish that a scheme alone, as used in the Howey test, refers to a more complicated contractual arrangement. They cite a number of historical examples of these complex contractual arrangements, which is what was contemplated when they broadly defined scheme as being one of the components of a potential investment contract and a security. So basically, they're telling the court, nice try, SEC, but you're not going to get there on investment contract, and you're not going to get there under the theory of a scheme. Having cut them off at the knees on those two points, the SEC's effort to portray a simple asset sale as a security is an unprecedented stretch. Coinbase is arguing in their motion that the SEC is stretching the definition of securities by portraying a simple asset sale as a security, an interpretation they claim is unprecedented. Coinbase is arguing that unlike stocks and bonds, digital assets themselves are not securities, but can be a component of a security, i.e. an investment contract, only if accompanied by relevant contractual undertakings which they go to great lengths to maintain, does not exist here. Another major takeaway, investment contract requires an expectation in the income, profits, or assets of a business. Coinbase argues in their motion to dismiss that through their platform, nothing they did constitutes investment contracts because purchasers don't acquire a share in the business's income, profit, or assets. They're basically suggesting that the SEC's flawed claim uh, 
fails to take into consideration this very, very essential component that needs to be there. So again, this all falls back to if it's not an investment contract, it's not a security. And if it's not a security, then you don't have a mandate here to do what you need to do. They tie in the major question doctrine, which we've talked about before, principle of administrative law that maintains that federal agencies should not have the authority to regulate significant aspects of the economy without explicit authority from Congress. It should be presumed that Congress should step in and answer these important questions. So Coinbase argues that the SEC's interpretation and application of the investment contract slash scheme theory that they're trying to advance here is an end around from the major question doctrine and that they should not be permitted to stretch their authority this far without an explicit mandate from Congress. They argue that Coinbase's wallet software does not act as an unregistered broker. I think that's pretty obvious. I don't think you can get to an investment contract just because they offer a software suite that allows you to custody things on their platform. And you can dive deeper into the complaint for that. Finally, their staking services do not constitute unregistered securities. Coinbase argues in their motion to dismiss that their staking services are not unregistered securities and fall outside of the SEC's uh, jurisdiction for two major reasons. One, Coinbase's staking services don't involve an investment of money. The company uh, very, very strongly argues in the motion to dismiss that staking is not an investment since it doesn't involve the risk of loss, which is crucial for an investment to be considered a security. Other major point, profits from Coinbase's staking services are not due to managerial services, i.e. efforts of others. Coinbase asserts that the staking rewards are not investment profits, but are payments for participating in the blockchain validation process. So that's the quick overview of what's in it. We got Birdnalls, Johnny, Mike in the house. You're welcome to come up and join. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what went down. Birdnalls, I know you threw some props to uh, Paul for and his team for masterfully using short sites and tiny URLs in order to get around the limitations on page for their citations. I love that too. That's great lawyering. Uh, great economy of words. So, And I know you got a like from Paul on that, so that's awesome. Johnny, you're in the house. What are your thoughts on what went down? So I agree. So I, I, I started reading it, and it gave me chills because it just went right for the throat. Uh, and I, you did a great job summarizing, and I think it was great to just start with that. But it struck me a little bit afterwards that they may have undermined their um, major question doctrine argument by – by starting like that and in saying he asked for Congress to do something and they haven't done anything. And, and here's this action. And if we look to the legislature now, are they doing anything that would, that would, would negate what he's bringing here today? I, I think by opening the door to saying, Hey, Congress didn't do anything. They're under my, they're, they're almost saying Congress is satisfied with, the scheme the way it is am i out there i don't know i mean i i get what you're saying but is congress satisfied with what they're doing i think that looking at the legislation that's currently in the pipeline would any of it preclude an action against coinbase currently 
<laughs> Looks like you've got uh, your legal team with you. Yeah. Uh, yes, I do. But I, was- <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's awesome that you're spending time with the fam on a Friday. So that's beautiful. Um, it's an interesting point, Johnny. Uh, would anything in the proposed legislation have prevented this lawsuit from being filed by the SEC? Well, I think if it fell under a commodity as opposed to a security, perhaps, it'd be the wrong agency coming after them. I don't know that the legislation itself would lend any clarity to the definition of an investment contract or in any way disrupt Howie. Your thoughts on that, because I know we did a deep dive on legislation last week. Um, You think based upon the pending legislation that looks like it's got momentum here, that it does much to change what Coinbase is doing in their business model and whether these things are in fact investment contracts, these 12 noted uh, coin offerings. And I don't know that it's retroactive either. So to me, if I want a major question doctrine, I want want to really lean to the fact that Congress intends to do something that is completely opposite. And, and what, in fact, the legislation does bring a lot of this under the purview of the SEC that's proposed. So I'm a, I got a little nervous about that intro. Um, the other thing that made me a little bit nervous is this whole, like, if it wasn't, a, uh, if there weren't investment contracts and other expectations surrounding the token itself. And what, if we apply that same analysis to just buying a stock, um, and saying, well, I don't have any relation. I don't now there are, there are some differences, right? And it does create some rights for me as far as being, you know, in relation to that company, but we didn't have any separate investment contracts between me and the, and the company I'm buying stock in outside of that stock. Right. And, And if we apply the same analysis to a token to say, Hey, there's no, I think it is a fair thing to say, like, even though there's nothing specifically binding between me and Coinbase or me and uh, me and uh, Ripple, I still there's this expectation and scheme in issuing those that would lead me to believe that I ha- there are some expectations between us. I, I think that argument doesn't get dismissed on the pleadings. I saw that you tweeted that they seem to rely heavily on Ripple. Um, do you think that's going to work to their detriment, given what happened in the other district court decision that has gone against Ripple? And did they fail to at least uh, entertain that in their motion? You know, sometimes when I write stuff like this, I like to anticipate what the other side's going to argue and sort of uh, dissipate the argument. Uh, I forget which case it was. Uh, which case was the anti-Ripple decision out of the district court for Southern District? the Doquan Luna thing. Yeah, the Luna case. I don't even know if that was mentioned in this motion. I was wouldn't, it? but you, I, I think they should have put some more effort into refuting that because it's obviously going to be trotted out. And, and in that, that I kind of just said what was in the Luna arguments. Like, just because there isn't a contract between me and Ripple, I own this token that creates the, the it's, it was almost as if I'm relying on a contract that the institutional contract is all part of the same scheme. And I think they could have done a better job to undermine that argument. Cause I think that is the argument at issue. 
Yeah, that that's exactly why I brought up the the and thank you for for reminding me. It was the Luna case where we had the Southern District of New York different judge side contrary to what was decided in the Ripple case as far as uh, as far as what exactly you were alluding to. That's what got me thinking about it because I just did a word search. Luna is mentioned in a footnote, but it's not the current decision of the district court. Bertnalls, you jumped into the house as well. Uh, what do you think about this motion? What do you think about Johnny's points? Should they have should they have cited and anticipated what the SEC might argue, or is it even not worth doing that because it's just a district court decision? No offense to the district court, but we understand not binding precedent. So they did uh, footnote ten. Uh, you're probably searching Luna Terraform. Ah, okay, okay. Thank you, Bernals. So that's actually one of the thoughts I thought they did really well is that they took something that came out on Monday and crafted the argument in a way that it seems like they've been dealing with this for weeks and months in the same way they dealt with Ripple. They had time to deal with that. So um, that, I thought they did a really good job of talking about where they thought Terraform was right and where they thought Terraform uh, exceeded what the law says in regards to how we in investment contracts. So I, I thought it was really good. The way they yeah, did that. good point. I, I think I just skimmed over that and I'm sorry for that, but let me, let me quote it for the folks at home. Nor finally does the recent Terraform ruling justify the SEC's major question overreach in concluding that the SEC's claims of authority were insufficiently quote extraordinary and the crypto industry was insufficiently quote important to warrant the doctrine's application uh, Terraforma overlooked entirely the Supreme Court's recent clarification and application of the doctrine in the Nebraska and Alabama Association of Realtors case, and they cite to that. Okay, yeah, thank you for catching that. I missed it. Um, so, Johnny, what does that do? What about the esteem argument? I mean, the major question doctrine is one thing, but the whole analysis of the secondary sales not being part of a, being part of a scheme, and you don't need to have that that contract. I think that's what would be at issue. Is that talked about, Bernals? Yeah, that's the footnote 10 I was talking about, not the major question. Footnote 10 on page 14. Uh, Other aspects of Terraform appear to stray beyond rejecting a requirement of formality or technical enforceability and adapting even broader view of the SEC's authority and the SEC itself has articulated. Coinbase respectfully submits that these portions of the court's opinion are unsupported for the reasons explained in the text. So, yeah. Well done. I did not read the footnotes in my first cursory review of this <laughs> because there was a lot to juggle in a morning uh, that had a lot of other things to juggle. But yeah, so they did cover it. Uh, did they cover it effectively? Knowing what you know now, Johnny, what do you think? I I don't know. We'll see. We'll have to see the response. I don't know that that's more compelling than Ripple, than a Taurus decision or less. Um, I, I don't know. I don't want to make anybody nervous. Don't make direct eye contact, but we do have an ash sighting in the space. Ash is in the space. Everyone act normal. Do not make any movements. We don't want to lose ash. Good to see you, ash. Long time, long time. Um, <laughs> yeah. Glad to see you, my man. It's been a while. Um, Bernals, any other thoughts from your perspective? Uh, I, I think it's a really effective motion. I love the opening uh, paragraph. I love the way it sets the table. I think it's really well drafted um, to the point. And 
what are the odds of it getting granted? I guess that's the big question. But what are your takeaways? What do you think about it overall after after taking a first reading? Yeah, I really liked it. I think, I mean, it's obviously very well written, uh, very well structured. I liked it a lot. Um, I thought it, I think it raises some uh, arguments, essentially raises the uh, the Ripple and others' essential ingredients argument, but they they make it very clear to say, we're not trying to say that this is some kind of additional feature of Howie, unlike unlike Ripple, and they kind of they kind of put it as a, hey, here's something that's been unspoken as a part of Howie throughout, and we should just formalize it and make a new rule that here are these essential ingredients that, in addition to Howie, have to be there. Um, they don't do that here, which I think is smart, and I think that if Ripple had done the same, they might have had more, more success on that, because courts are going to say, hey, I'm a district court, I want to make up a completely new rule and get, add additional elements to a precedent that's been around for almost 100 years. Um, they say, hey, no, these are, this isn't a new role. This isn't a new requirement. This is something that every single Howie uh, case has had as a part of it, and this is why it fits within it. So I thought they did a really good job with that. Um, I'm not, I don't think major question fits here under the current, unless I love major question doctrine i think it's i think it's a it, there's a reason that people are bringing it up now because the way the current scotus is fitting in but in major question doctrine they're talking about uh official agency action so putting out an agency regulation or agency rule or rulemaking by the agency or a uh a plan in the case of the most recent one with treasure with uh, the department of education that put out in a, an official uh, a plan of action as far as the paying back student loans. These are all official agency actions. Uh, the decision to prosecute or not prosecute a case isn't generally an agency action uh, under the major question document. It's not, it's not it's the same way that if the agency put out some, uh, some uh, guidance that wasn't rulemaking or Ginsburg goes on squawk box and says something that's not an that's not action of the agency. So that's that the issue is that they're going to be they're going to be fighting an uphill battle, of, especially at the district court level. Maybe they get an appellate court. Maybe they get SCOTUS to expand on it. But a decision to prosecute or not isn't a isn't a agency action in the major question sense. Interesting. Even though the they may not have a mandate to do what they're doing. So what, what they're saying, what the SEC is saying is that we haven't put out any new rules on crypto. We haven't done X, Y, and Z because we're just using the old rules. We're using Howie. We're using the rules as they existed and we're not making any kind of changes to rules. We're not. And then the court's job isn't to say, hey, your interpretation of Howie is a major question. It's a, the, the court's job is to say, yeah, your, your interpretation of Howie is wrong. I'm a court. Here's what Howie actually says. So that's why this wouldn't necessarily be a major question and the decision to prosecute or not. It's interpretation of the law, which either one of them are capable of doing, but it's not an interpretation of the statute in the form of rulemaking or in the form of agency action, which has traditionally been what major question is raised on. Great points. I like it. Interesting take. Johnny, your hands yeah, up. That's, that is a good take. Um, so I, I think that sheds some for me, some new light on that writ of mandamus. 
uh, and compelling them to to create an action as compared or, or create rules would that if they had created rules similar to the ones that that um, coinbase want would wanted to mandate to do would we be then within the scope of the major questions doctrine yes i think that's clearly within the scope of the major question doctrine but like so they have put out guidance they put out the the, uh, the the like the seventy factor test on what they consider a a, a digital asset security um, that they put out back in like what twenty eighteen or right after the Dow report, but that's again that's not even that's because that's not official agency action that's on that's it's just guidance that's not a rule then that's not something that can be challenged under uh, major question doctrine unlike rulemaking. They didn't make a rulemaking, then yeah, that's that squarely fits within it. Just like the the FDA's rules regarding uh, not allowing to have tobacco products, or was a major question for the tobacco industry, or the uh, department EPA's guidance on uh, coal, which was which is an effective ban of coal. What that was that wasn't guidance; that was an actual rule that says that you cannot have this level of emission. And that level of emission was something that was acquired for the coal industry. So those are actual agency rules that went through the rulemaking, went through the uh, Administrative Procedure Act for rulemaking authority, passed that, and then that's when it's challenged. It's not a decision by an agency to prosecute or not. So, so Gensler's disincentivized to create rules because if they're if they're outside, that opens up that opens up the major question doctrine. Potentially, I mean, there's, I mean, the, the rule could also be this is an accurate interpretation. I mean, not to say that this isn't that it's it's taking a rule and, and, and taking an old statute in this case, securities laws from the 1940s, and interpreting them in a way to cover something that was never intentioned to be covered for. While their rules could be something that is within that, which is like the disclosure requirement. Hey, we're the SEC. Our job isn't to say yes or no. This is a good investment. This is a bad investment. Our job is just to make sure that people put out enough information and allow people to make their own decisions on that. So if what their rules were was just merely that, then maybe that's not a major question. If what their rules are is saying, hey, this is the a, a investment contract means digital assets to have these elements, then yeah, that's something that would be. So, I mean, it depends on what the rule says. But yeah, I, I think that that's one of the resistance that, and that's what they was raising in the Coinbase mandamus action is saying, the SEC doesn't want to make formal rules because that is something that we can challenge in court. If they go through the Administrative Procedures Act, they issue a new rule, and we object to that that new rule, we can, we can challenge that in court, but their one-off enforcement actions cannot be challenged in court, and that's why they're doing it, and that's the issue. Jump in your time machine for a second, Bird Nolis, because Johnny made an interesting point. If the legislation that we all talked about last week on, on the spaces, uh, if that legislation were to pass, the one that's cleared through a couple of House committees, would it have done anything to change this lawsuit from being dropped on Coinbase? Uh, again, it's past. I don't know if they can uh, look back, but I do know that there is a safe harbor provision for the initial the initial uh, first year of the bill. I want to say where uh, you can fall within a safe harbor exception and not have to demonstrate the uh, the decentralization level uh, that's required under the bill to be a commodity 
there is a safe harbor provision. So yes, if the, the bill if the bill were to pass today, then many of the assets that Coinbase is being accused of selling as uh, unregistered securities would fall with, if not all of them, would fall within that safe harbor exception, and Coinbase could offer them. And same thing with Coinbase, they have a certain period of time to register as a alternative trading uh, platform for digital assets, which would allow them to sell digital asset securities, digital asset commodities, and stable coins all on the same platform. Right now, a securities exchange cannot sell commodities or, or things along that ilk. Interesting. So even though there may not be an ex post facto component to it and it couldn't stop the lawsuit from coming, the, the grace period would put a pause and I think it would probably stay the proceedings for a bit in order for Coinbase to maybe get in compliance with the new legislation, it sounds like. It would definitely prevent any injunction any, uh, or at least would make it so it's harder to seek an injunction for future benefits. I have no idea on whether what 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 provisions are in there. Uh, I'd have to look more closely as to past conduct and how much of past conduct gets gets forgiven. Yeah, fair point. I think uh, it all obviously boils down to what has the chance of getting out of uh, Congress and to the president's desk for signature in an election year. So we, we, we all are very guarded with our optimism about that. Great conversation. Um, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Before we wrap it up, um, Bernal's and Johnny predictions on whether this thing has a likelihood of getting granted. I think it's zero, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, I go a uh, major question. Zero. Uh, I mean, not zero, one, two percent. Uh, the, the parts of it, I think that maybe some aspects, maybe the maybe the staking, maybe the wallet claim uh, might have a chance of being dismissed. Um, those aren't really the focus of this. Um, uh, it might get a judgment, not dismissed, it might get a judgment. Um, that wasn't really the focus of this, but I could see in, in follow-up and in the replies and everything that maybe there's more focus on there. And I think those might be, uh, I don't, I don't know if the tokens themselves, the sale of the tokens themselves is going to have really much of a chance, if any 10%, 20% maybe at best, which is still better than anyone possibly could have expected. So if this was a motion to dismiss, I put it at zero motion for judgment where they can bring in these extra facts and everything. And maybe they, they get something there. Did you just, Fair did point. you just $1 Bob me? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Look, and if anything, it sets the table, like you said, it sets the tone and it definitely raises issues for later on appeal. Um, if this issue of what constitutes an investment contract when it comes to a digital asset offering under this specific set of facts is able to get up on appeal, that could have some big, uh, some big ramifications for the entire digital asset space. Uh, all of that being said, it sure was fun to read it and it sure is nice to see it, uh, out there. Um, so great, uh, great conversation for anyone who missed it or jumped in late replay it. We did a breakdown at the beginning, uh, sort of a little TLDR of what's in the motion and Bernal's jumped in and filled some gaps with respect to whether it cited the Terra Luna holding that recently went down in the district court. Johnny, thank you for your insights. Thank you for everyone that joined in. And again, if you miss it in spaces, you can always catch it on podcast form on Spotify and Apple's podcast platform. 
I hope everyone has a great Friday. Appreciate you always jumping into the conversation. Back to work, everybody. We'll talk soon.